Well, I'm Pastor Brad, you're at California Community Church, in case anybody is confused by that, and I'm welcoming those who are online, we're glad that they're here too. This is part two of a new series called Tactics for Tough Times. Now, we know half of that equation personally. How many of you know the tough times side of it? Yeah, right? But the tactics side of it is what we're learning together. We're going to look at God's Word today, and we're going to take a look at how can we be happy consistently even when life is inconsistent. Like life goes like this, how can we be like this? Like life goes like that, how can we keep moving forward? And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want to do any study on happiness in the Bible, there's one main place you have to go. It's a book of the Bible that tends to be the most joy-centric, happy-centric book in all of Scripture, and it's the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, the Christian side, Christian half of the scriptures. We've got the Hebrew half, the Christian half. It's in the Christian half. And what's ironic about this book written about happiness and joy is that it was written by a man while he was imprisoned unfairly. He wouldn't stop teaching about Jesus. That was against the law. So he was thrown into prison, and while he's there, God prompted him and inspired him to write this book about joy. Here's a kind of a key verse in all of Philippians. Take, take a look at this. If you have your outline page, or you can look on the screens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Now, there's a couple of things in here that I want to land on for just a second. First of all, that whatever happens part. How many of you are very familiar with the truth of the bumper sticker that assures us Whatever happens, right? Like it's going to happen. It's going to come fast. It's going to come hard. It's going to come unpredictably. The other part of this I want you to see is the, is the instruction that we are to conduct ourselves a certain way no matter what happens. And what that means is we get to choose our conduct. There's a whole lot in today's teaching about personal responsibility, and it kind of starts right here. But whatever happens... Like, where do your stresses come from? Where do your frustrations come from? Usually they come from one of four sources. They come from pain. They come from pressure. They come from problems. And how many of you agree that they also come from people? Don't point. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And Paul, who wrote the New Testament or part of the New Testament here, he had a lot of this going on in his own life. Like he was very familiar with pain. He was very familiar with pressure. He was very familiar with problems. And he certainly had difficult people to deal with. Here's my question. Not will we have these things hit us and cause us to be unhappy. That's not the question. Here's the question. Do you want to stay unhappy? Do you want to stay unhappy? I think if we were to poll this group, take a poll of those watching online, the resounding answer would be, no, I don't want to stay unhappy. I actually want to learn how to be happy. And I've got some good news for you today. Based on the best happiness studies, we can actually choose to be happy. Here's two mistakes that we often make when it comes to this topic. First, we think happiness is about our circumstances, but that's not true. It's about our choices. It's about my choices 
not my circumstances. Let's say it. It's about my choices, not my circumstances. Then the other mistake that people make, they're out there looking to find happiness. Like, I'm sure it's this elusive little animal running around. I'll capture it. I'll throw a net over it. I'll drag it home like it's something that you can find. No, happiness is not something you find. It's something you create. It's a choice you make. It is something you can create. Now, here's some hard news. This means we have personal responsibility for our happiness. You are as happy as you choose to be. That means you can't blame someone else for your unhappiness, but we want to. It's so much easier to. Or we'll spend our time out there looking to find it. Like when my ship comes in, when I win the lottery, when I have that man in my life, when I have that woman in my life, when I have that man or woman out of my life. I mean, you know, just depends what side of, of that story you're on. Rather than just waiting, you know, to find it, like he's just going to walk up to us. Hello, I'm happiness. Glad to meet you. I've been looking for you a long time. In Paul's case, it could have been when I get out of prison, then I'll be happy. But what we find, while this pastor imprisoned is writing, he's already happy. And it's not because circumstances have changed. As a matter of fact, they've gotten worse. Listen, in spite of pain and pressure and problems and people, if we don't figure out how to choose and create happiness, we're going to be unhappy most of our life. Ain't nobody got time for that. So let's figure it out together. We're going to do some work together. I want to give you some background for the scriptures that we're looking at. So Paul writes this book called Philippians. What you need to know is that before he wrote Philippians chapter 1, in the previous four years of his life, Paul had already spent two other years in jail in a city called Caesarea on false charges, false charges, two years of his life taken away. Then he's going to Rome where he's going to face another trial with Nero the Caesar. And while he's on his way to Rome for that trial for preaching about Jesus, the ship gets wrecked. He's stranded on a desert island. While he's there, he's bitten by a poisonous snake. When he finally does get to Rome, he's imprisoned again for two more years in a dungeon where he is chained 24 hours a day to a guard, never without a guard chained to him. He had every reason to be unhappy. Every reason to be bitter and resentful and fearful and depressed. But he chose that time. God chose that time for Paul to write about happiness. Paul made four choices while he was in those circumstances that allowed his happiness level to kind of stay right in here and not to plummet down to here. And they're choices that we can make too, and we're going to walk through them together. So if you have your note page, just take a look. Here's the first one. I choose to remember that God can bring good out of anything. I choose to remember that God can bring good out of anything. Now, there's a very famous verse. If you grew up in church, you probably have heard of it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you may have even heard of this one. It's pretty famous. It's Romans 8, 28, and it says, we know that in all that happens, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to take a look at this verse. Notice, it doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that. 
but in all things, even the bad stuff. Some stuff's bad. How many of you agree with that? Some stuff's just bad. It's not good. God doesn't call it good. It, there's some stuff that's bad. We talked about this last week. It's not that all things are good, but in all things, God is working. How many of you would love to know that God is working on your behalf? Like God is for me, working for my good. Listen, the good is not the bad that happens. That's not the good. The good is what God does with the bad that happens. Does that make sense to you? It's what he does with the bad. God can bring good out of bad. Like if we say, well, you know what? God just, you know, causes all things and, and it's all going to be good. He could have been just a great engineer to set it up at the beginning that it all just rose along flawlessly and it's all good. But that wouldn't take divinity. That wouldn't take a God to do that. Artificial intelligence can probably do that. You know what God can do? Life throws all the chaos at us. Our hearts break and pieces fly apart in a thousand ways. And God gathers the debris and says, I'm going to work this for your good. Will you trust me in this moment because I can take the chaos and the unexpected and the unpredictable and the unpleasant and I can work that for your good. We get frustrated and we get unhappy when we don't see our problems that way. It's a perspective issue. But this can be comforting. This can be uplifting if you believe that God is at work for your good. I think it was because King David in the Hebrew Scriptures knew this for himself. He was able to write this verse years earlier. I will praise the Lord. And then here's this phrase we're going to see very often today. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. And notice what he says. I will praise. Who sees the personal responsibility in that? There's a choice in that. I can say I won't praise. Not going to praise. You're not the boss of me. But he says, I, it's a choice, I will praise. I can decide whether or not I'll praise the Lord no matter what happens. David made a choice and he said, I'm going to. Now, how do you do that? How do you consistently praise God even in bad circumstances? It's a big question because it's a life skill that you're going to need to develop if you want to have a consistent level of happiness in your life. Now, listen closely. Happy people are able to see the bigger picture. Happy people are in this for the long game. They're not just, you know, uh, uh, caught off guard or thrown off their game because something bad happens in the moment. They're in this for the long game. They know over a course of time, their long perspective is God is working for good. I just got to give him time. I'm going to trust even when it doesn't look good because I'm not just looking now. I've got a longer, bigger perspective. That's what Romans 8, 28 means. I know God is working good if I don't see it, that just means he's still working and I'm going to trust him for it. Let me show you an example from this pastor who was in jail. Look what he wrote. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that happened, there it is again, everything, no matter what happens, everything that happened to me has helped spread the good news. Now, when he says everything, then you need to remember that includes shipwreck. Like I didn't even tell you about the beatings that he took. As a follower of Jesus Christ. There were times the Bible says he was left on the side of the road where people believed he was dead. Like that's how badly they beat him 
and left him on the side. So when he says everything has happened to me and it's turned out for good, he's including the beatings. He's including the snake bites. Like, that's terrifying. He's including the imprisonments unfairly. He knew that no matter what bad stuff is in my life, God has the ability to transform and bring from that good. Happy people play the long game. Give an example from Paul's life. For many, many years, he had hoped to preach in Rome. Now, I don't know what he envisioned about preaching in Rome. I think he wanted to go and maybe rent out the Colosseum, put up billboards. Hey, Paul's in town. You know, come see this famous pastor and just preach to thousands and see the whole city, you know, turn toward Jesus Christ. I think he probably had something like that in mind. He for sure didn't have in mind that his preaching would be to one guard chained to his wrist. Probably didn't think about that. What you need to know about those guards during that time, that, that like one-on-one being guarded, that, that kind of attention was only reserved for special prisoners, like prisoners that they really wanted to keep an eye on, and Paul was one of those. And the guards would serve in four-hour shifts, so every four hours a new guard would come in, and, and that guard would then be shackled to Paul, and then Paul would just be sitting there, and he just had this one guard, you know, captive audience if you're a pastor. <laughs> you know, it's like... Guess what we're going to talk about today, you know? Like, who's the prisoner? You know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. You know, if you take one guard every four hours, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, and you do that over two years, that's 4,380 times he had a chance to talk to guards about Jesus. 4,000 times. The Bible tells us there were two results to this. First of all, some in Nero's family actually became Christians. Did you know that? Like Nero, who was just wicked, wicked, like Nero was a bad guy, but some of his family members became Christians because these guards probably had security detail for Nero's family too. These were hand-picked guards, so probably the elite. So it would be likely that they would also be guarding members of Nero's family, protecting. And while they're there, they're like, I had the most interesting conversation. This guy down there, he won't stop talking. And it's all about Jesus. And some of the members of Nero's family became Christians because a guard was chained to Paul. I call that a chain reaction. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's what, it's right there in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. The second benefit of this is that Paul was forced to sit still in a prison cell for two years. And so when he wasn't talking to guards... He was writing the biggest part of our New Testament, and his writing career was financed by Nero. I just love that. Maybe you're in a hard place right now, but do you have the faith to believe that God can turn some of that bad into good? Here's what I'd say. Face every situation with faith, not fear. Every situation with faith, not fear. If you want to be happy, every situation with faith, not fear. The faith that God is working. And not only is he working, he's working for good. One more thing that happened in Paul's life, like since we're, since we're talking about it, is, uh, is that Paul actually taught other people 
how to do this. Like other Christians learned from Paul's example how to face hard times. And what I want to do is give you an example or an opportunity to practice how to do this right now. We're going to say a little prayer. And, and I just want you to say it out loud with me. We'll bring it up on the screen. Can we bring that prayer up? Yep. I want you to say this out loud with me. God, help, the out loud part. Here we go. God, help me to see this from your perspective. Help me to face this problem with Amen. What you just did is you just took your first step to perpetual happiness. Now, the bonus benefit, as I said, is when you're doing that, your example encourages other people to do that. That's what happened with Paul. Look what he says in verse 14. And because of my imprisonment, many of the believers have gained confidence. They've become bolder in telling people about Jesus. First thing you want to do, if you want to be happy in all circumstances, remember that God can bring good out of bad. Here's the second choice. I choose... To never let others control my attitude. I choose to never let others control my attitude. Some of you are going to be set free during this point. Because this is a big issue for you. Like the temperature of your emotional state goes up and down based on the people around you. Rather than you controlling the thermostat and setting the temperature at a consistent level in your own life. Listen, someone else cannot cannot control you unless you let them. Personal responsibility. This idea. Like, we want... How easy to say, well, it's their fault. I'm unhappy because of them. I'm unhappy because of what they do. My emotional world is dependent on them being better people, and they're just not. And so, that's why I feel this way. Well, victim... You chose to take that power and hand it to them. And Paul didn't do that. Paul wasn't going to do that. Like around Paul were just all kinds of people who could have, he could have given the the, uh, control of the thermostat to them. He could have said to them, you get to tell me how I'm going to feel today. Like all kinds of people. Paul had companions around him. He had critics around him. He had competitors around him. He had challengers around him. And you're going to have all kinds of people in your life. I mean, let's just walk through it for Paul. First, Paul had critics. Look look in verse uh, 15. It's true that some people preach Christ because they're jealous of us. They like to argue. How many of you met jealous argumentative critics? Yeah, you find them online all the time. They're the ones whispering in the hallways at work. They're the ones that are doing, and then you walk up and they're going, oh, hi. You know, that's what's going on there. Could it be jealousy? We don't know. Do they like to argue? What we know is they're contentious and divisive. What we also know is that criticism is one of the chief robbers of our happiness if we let someone take our happiness away. Here's an important principle you need to remember. Like, this is worth the price of admission today. You don't need other people's approval or permission to be happy. Let's personalize it. I don't need other people's what? Or to? I don't. And neither do you. And when we abdicate, when we just give up that power to someone else around us, we have given away a precious gift that God entrusted to us which is 
personal responsibility and the ability to choose for ourselves just how happy we'll be. Here's another verse. Other people, he's talking about uh, friends that he had. These were some good people in his life. Other people preach from genuine goodwill, and they do so out of love, and they know that God's given me the work of defending the gospel. Like, you're going to want some friends in your life. You don't need a lot, but you do need a few. That's why we always talk about being in a life group. You're going to hear this a lot at our church. You need a group of companions who will walk through all the seasons of life with you. The the life group that Karen and I are in, we've been together for over 10 years. And I'm telling you, we've had births of babies where we've rejoiced. We've had deaths of family members, loss of jobs, prayer requests over physical illness. I mean, we've just walked through the seasons of life, and that's been a source of strength for me. And I think they'd say a source of strength for them because we've been in it together. It was encouragement, and it adds to the happiness. And you need a group like that in your life. In the next verse, Paul talks about competitors. Look what he says. Some people preach Christ insincerely and from a spirit of selfish ambition. These are people who look at your life, they look at your happiness, and they just don't want you to be happier than them. And they'll try to steal your joy. Verse 17, one more group, and these are the challengers. These are the people who just don't like you. Hard to say that because I don't know who wouldn't like you. I mean, I like you a lot. I just want you to know. But there may be some people who don't. Look what he says. These are the people who stir up trouble for me and add pain while I'm in prison. Like, these are the people who would relish the opportunity to kick you while you're down. Don't miss the point. Regardless of the kinds of people in your life, don't give up control of your happiness. Don't let them determine how happy you'll be. Like, look how Paul responded to this. He says, what others do doesn't really matter. Hello? Hello? Who needs this today? Like, what others do, the important thing, whether right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared, I'm happy, say it with me, and I... You choose. You choose. Let me tell you this, if you live for the approval of others, you will die by their disapproval. Like you've got to get this. One more verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Do we have that? I think I may have skipped a verse. Yeah, I did. Philippians 1.28, let me give it to you. You want to go back to that? That was my fault, Mark. What others do doesn't really matter. Oh, we just did that one. Be fearless, Philippians 1.28, be fearless no matter who opposes you. It'll be a sign of them for their downfall and that God is with you and he's going to save you. Now go to this statement. If you live for the approval of others, you will die by their disapproval. The wrong way to find happiness is to want everybody to like you. The wrong way to find happiness is to wait for someone else to give it to you. Happiness is an inside job. 1 Thessalonians, look at this. And this was also Paul. No matter what happens, Always be thankful, for this is God's will for you. You belong to Jesus Christ. Look at the connection between thankful, thankful, and being able to face no matter what happens. Jesus, you're on my side. 
Jesus, you're working for my good. Jesus, you gave me the opportunity and the free will and the personal responsibility to choose my emotional temperature. Jesus, I will always be thankful no matter what happens. Here's the next one. I will choose to trust that God will work it out. This is the third key. I'll choose to trust that God will work it out. This is verse 19 in Philippians chapter 1. Look what Paul wrote. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that happened will turn out for my deliverance. Now, deliverance sounds like, oh, we might get out of prison. What Paul's going to tell us here in just a minute, deliverance could happen two ways. What we come to know is that while Paul was in prison in Rome under the authority of Nero, he was facing execution. So one way for Paul to be delivered from prison would be to die. One way to be delivered from prison for Paul would be to be set free from prison. Paul had no physical evidence. He had no uh, empirical things to look at or consider that would make him believe, oh, I think I'm going to get off this charge. They're probably going to be letting me out of prison at any time. There was none of that for Paul. Everything in the circumstances of Paul would indicate he's going to die here. And yet Paul's still talking about some kind of deliverance is coming. I'm just going to trust God. See, we trust God when we don't see the whole picture. We trust God when we don't know the end of the story. It is God who gives you hope and God who gives you courage. And it's God who gives you happiness. And that's what happened to Paul. Look at the next verse in Philippians 1. It is my eager expectation. Does that sound like a depressed person? It is my eager expectation and hope. You know what you don't have when you're down? Hope. But he had expectation. He had hope. Eager expectation and hope. Expectation and hope. Say those two words with me. Expectation and hope. I won't be ashamed. Like all my critics, everybody watching, everybody wants to watch me fall. With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, his life. And look, I don't care if I live or die. This is all going to work out for God's glory and me accomplishing what I'm supposed to do. Paul is saying, even when I don't know the end of the story, I don't know if I'm going to get out of prison a free man or alive. I trust God. I love this next verse, Hebrews 10, 35. This is a paraphrase. It's from the Living Bible. Look what it says. Do not let your happy trust in the Lord die away. I mean, look at that. Happy trust. Happiness and trust go together. Your ability to trust God and your ability to stay happy go together. Let me give you one more choice. I choose to stay focused on my purpose, not my problems. I choose to stay focused on my purpose, not my problem stay focused on the purpose of your life you say brad i don't know what the purpose of my life is well we're going to talk about that like paul was experiencing so many problems he was experiencing so many things that could have distracted him from the purpose of his life i mean think about it he it, what i didn't tell you he's an old man at this point we know that he has some kind of physical ailment that's been chronic in his life. In another scripture, he talks about a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed for God to remove this physical illness. And, and he says, and God didn't. 
He said, God gave me grace to sustain me, but he didn't take away my physical pain. So he had physical pain. He's an older man. That means he has to be tired. He's in this depressing dungeon. They've taken away his freedom. They've taken away his privacy because he's chained. That means going to the bathroom. Hey, fella, you know, it's like everything. Guys chained to him 24 hours a day. But what they could not take away from Paul was his purpose. Look what he says. If I continue to live, I can do more worthwhile work for Christ. And that means I'm writing, you know, I'm writing the scriptures. I'm leading these guards to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I'm just going to keep working for Jesus. I have a purpose while I live. But he says, but I'm not sure which I would choose. Like, if I'm given a choice, I'm pulled in two directions. I very much want to leave this life and be with Christ. If you're in Paul's sandals... Wouldn't you want to leave that life? Been in prison, unfairly, old and sick. Life's going to probably lead to his beheading outside of Rome, right? Like, it's not going to be like a pleasant road from here forward. He's like, you know what? If I have a choice, going to heaven sounds kind of good. It's a far better thing to do that. But for your sake, it's much more important that I remain alive. Now, I don't know if you like have a pen or you're taking notes or whatever, but if you do, what you want to circle in that phrase is for your sake. Because look what's going on in Paul's life. He has a choice between what he would want and what he would want would be release from all of this pain. What he would want is release from all of this persecution. He's had a very long relationship with Jesus and a lot of hard in his relationship with Jesus. So he's like, you know, what I want, what's best for me, my agenda, go to heaven. But for your sake, look what he's doing. He's putting the needs of others above his own. There's unselfishness here. He says, for your sake, it's much more important that I remain alive. But what does it mean for him to remain alive? In this old, hurting, aching body in a prison, chained until they kill me. It's much more important, he says, that I do that. I'm sure of this. I know that I'll stay on with you all so I can add to your progress and join the faith. In other words, I believe God's going to let me live a little while longer. And he's going to let me live for your benefit. Paul's saying, the life I live, I'm not going to live for me. We need to understand happiness is not found in the me, 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 my, my, my worldview. Selfishness is not the way to happiness. Self-centeredness is not the way to happiness. Egocentric is not the way to happiness. Paul says, I would love to go to heaven, but I'm going to stay for your purpose. He has a purpose. It's to glorify God, and it's to serve others. Guess what your purpose is? Glorify God and serve others. Glorify God and serve others. I want you to say, my purpose in life is to glorify God and serve others. My purpose in life is to glorify God and serve others others and notice Paul didn't just have a purpose for living he's like if I live I'm going to live for you and for your benefit but if I die I'm going to go and be in the presence of God forever let me teach you something like if you take one thing like Brad I haven't heard a word you said okay but listen to this or I'm going to forget everything else you said don't forget this I'm not ready to fully live until I know what I die for and Paul knew, if I die, all right, that's good. And if I live, that's good. 
What are you willing to live for? And the question that really supports that, what are you willing to die for? Paul says, I am willing to live to serve others and glorify God. I am willing to die to fulfill what God wants me to do in serving others and glorifying God. I mean, it's quite amazing. I hope you're getting this principle about selfishness. Like, Paul had learned something. Like, you're a selfish person. You're not a happy person. It's all about you. You're not a happy person. You're thinking about the easy path? Like, the easy path for Paul, I'll just check out. He said, no, 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 I want to do the better thing. But it was the harder thing, and it was the thing for someone else and not for himself. True happiness comes from self-sacrifice. True happiness comes from living for the glory of God and for the benefit to serve others. Paul sums up his whole, his whole purpose, his whole reason that he can be happy in a single sentence, one of the most famous sentences in the Bible. Paul sums up his whole reason he can stay happy, and here it is. For me, to live is Christ. Stop right there. What does that mean, is Christ? That means living for Jesus. If I live, I'm going to keep living for Jesus, doing what he asks. He's going to be my sole ambition. He's the one I want to please. I'm going to live for an audience of one. Like for me, if I live, if I stay in this body, if God doesn't take me to heaven, if I live, it's going to be for Jesus. And then he says, and if I die, that's gain. Let me ask you something. How do you scare somebody like that? How do you threaten somebody like that? Nero comes in, I'm going to kill you. Oh, awesome. Let's go. Bring it. Nero, you got a bad haircut and leaves in your head. You know, he's like, I'll live. That's cool. I'll just live for Jesus. If I die, I know what's happening. I'm not afraid of death. Not afraid of death. He knew what he'd live for, and he also knew what he would die for. Let me ask you to ponder a question. How would you fill in this blank? And I, I put it on your sheet. For me to live is what? It may be the most important question you've been asked. For me to live is what? What are you living for? Like some people say, Brad, I'm living for my hobby. I live for my sport. I live for my family. I live to make more money. I live to, for my boyfriend. I live for my girlfriend. I live to be famous. Would you let me be your pastor for a minute? Let me just share my heart with you for just a second. How you fill in that blank will determine your level of happiness for the rest of your life. Like this is the most important singular choice of your life because it affects what the rest of your life is like. There's really only one answer to put there that will lead to happiness no matter what happens. And that's the answer for me to live is for Christ. It's for Jesus. I'm going to live my life for that purpose. Like if you're ready to settle that, like if you'd like the rest of your life to be the best of your life, then I want to lead you in a time of prayer where you get to fill in that blank. Jesus, I am going to choose to live for you. If I live, I live for Christ. And then you'll know that if you die, well, that's even, that's even better. So let's pray about this together. I want us to bow our heads right now.
Everybody just bow your head. I want this to be kind of a personal, private thing, so don't, don't intrude on anybody else's space right now. And would you just say in your heart, if you're ready to settle this, dear Jesus, like in your heart, just say it, because he knows your thoughts, he knows what's on your mind, and in your heart, so you just say it in your heart, dear Jesus, you know that I often let circumstances determine my happiness. I often let other people steal my happiness. I don't want that to be true anymore. So starting today, I'll start practicing these four choices. Help me to remember that you have a good plan for my life and can bring good even from bad. Help me to be wise. Father, help me remember that others cannot control my happiness unless I allow it. Forgive me for the times I have. And even when I don't understand how it could work out, nothing can steal my purpose. And from this day on, I'm going to fill in the blank for me to live will be for Christ for the rest of my life. Help me understand it more but I'm making my decision for you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.